Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey everyone, it's another week, a new week of Cinematics, a new episode. This is episode, I believe, 210 of Cinematics. Bruce Berkey, my better, with a black rose shirt. Am I right with the Cinematics episode 210? Is that the right numerical number? Yes. It's the number I put on the sheet, so it must be possibly right. Yes. <laughs> You're the only person I trust. I don't trust you, Eric Holmes, or the, the you know, the, I don't trust you whatsoever because you, you do a lot of interviews. I don't even know what these movies are. I, I don't trust you, but I know you're, th- you're a really hard worker. What have you been working on the last, I guess, week since we've last spoken? What have you been oh, working on? A bunch of stuff. Um, I guess most notably, I've been trying to get an interview with uh, Jonathan Quartos, the writer director of My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To, which is one of my favorite movies. And we've got like, it's like 30, 40 minute interview. Basically just gives out a, uh, throughout the interview, basically just gives out a, uh, Here's how to make an independent movie. And it was uh, really fun talking with him. I also made a uh, board game for the film vault and we did a playthrough for that. And so the, uh, cut, I was cutting the video just before we, uh, before we jumped on here and I will continue cutting once we leave. And so that'll be up uh, shortly. I, I'm guessing by next week, I'll be able to tell everyone where they can see that. Are you done with the film vault? game are you finished with all of the stuff is it was it are you ready to go out to market with all the film vaulters and whatnot with that uh, game? Uh, almost it's a couple slight tweaks you know doing a doing a playthrough in person and then doing a playthrough online I, i've never done a playthrough online before so mm-hmm. it kind of uh it kind of shows you issues with the rules that you might not have known otherwise but now Good. i know them and i can adjust them and what are the interviews you've been working on the last, I, I know it's swimming in your head. Probably, you probably forgot some of them because I forget what who I interviewed because they're just we've done so much. Well, so, some of them I haven't done yet. Um, but uh, oh Jesus, <laughs> well, uh, I I think we got uh, I got one for fifty fifty seven seconds, which we'll talk about briefly today. Um, with, with Rusty Condiff, you you just did it, or you're have it's coming. No, I got I got three of them tomorrow. And that's one of them. Okay. Got fifty seven seconds. Some movie called No Accident. Uh, some interviews for VHS eighty five, also of which we'll be talking about today. Okay. Uh, oh, you have interv- interviews tomorrow for VHS eighty five too. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, that that's what it says here. Oh, uh, and I believe we got another one for a movie called Onyx: The Fortuitous. Okay, who are you gonna you gonna get the director? I think so. I, I, uh, that's all in the all in the emails. All in the so, emails. Yeah. All right. a, a lot of this came together like yesterday, so I was like, uh, "Got to do a lot of cramming." You po- you possibly okay? You have to see. You have to see for that fortuitous movie before tomorrow, I guess. And then I, I think you might actually. Who knows? Maybe Barbara Crampton. You might interview her down the road. Possibly, maybe. I, I believe so. I, I believe it's. Uh, yeah. I, okay. I, I'm not sure. I, I'll have to All go right. and read. 
Because I put in the request with the PR people just to, even though since I'm not doing the fortuitous thing, whatever that movie is, I told them that you you're not to be trusted with Barbara Crampton. So your that interview's off. That 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 makes that makes sense. Totally makes makes sense. sense. Bruce, what do you think? What do you what do you think of me throwing dirt on Eric's interviews and and submarining this whole thing? What do what do you think, Bruce? I mean, I don't think I'd be trusted with Barbara Crampton either. So I think that's a fair assessment. (laughs) A fair assessment, Eric. I was I was uh, raised too much on uh, From Beyond and uh, yeah. Animator. And uh, reanimator, yeah. Same thing. Yes. But Greg, Greg, yes, you had a you had an interview recently of another movie we'll be talking about today that I'm I haven't not got to listen to the interview yet, but I'm excited too because I love the movie. Okay, and I love the movie too. Whatever the movie that we're talking about, and we're I'm very I'm very interested to see what Bruce has to say because Bruce, voice of the reason, maybe he might tip the scales uh, either negative or positive regarding the movie Miranda's Victim. That's one of the films we are covering. Okay. Patreon bonus. We last month we did Buffalo '66 and Dark City covered the year 1998. For some reason, I had the a randomizer from 1980 to 2020, but for some reason, I had the randomizer 1981 to 2020. I have no idea why. But for our Patreon bonus episodes, we covered the years 1980 to 2020. And here's the thing: what are we going to cover for this month? What year are we going to spotlight? I'm going to randomize my that generator right now let's see what we got and by the way this is bruce's turn to pick so let's see the year 2013 bruce parkey for our bonus episode for the month of october this month that is 2013 uh, 2013 the rule is bruce will choose a movie of his liking from 2013 and then the other pick will be for our patreon members it's a five dollar catch-all to receive our patreon bonus episode per month again last month we got 19 it was 1998 with buffalo 66 dark city very good discussion there and i guess patreon members get for the five dollar catch-all they get our bonus episode of cinematics every month plus with some extra maybe early access interviews and spoiler stuff along with our patreon community so anything else what do you guys think 2013 do you guys have any thoughts on that year do you remember anything i don't i'm too old 2013 bruce are you excited that it's closer to not in the 90s are you fine with 2013 i am fine with that i'm thinking i'm trying to think i mean it's (laughs) you know the older you get the decades of blur i might be able to get a movie that falls into that decade but 2013 specifically not probably can't figure it out but i usually what i do is i just go hmm what are the cult movies from 2013 and i see if one of those really strikes my fancy and if not then i just get a rom-com with julie you know Julie Roberts. <laughs> right. Bruce's first pick, I guess. Next month will be Eric's turn. I wonder if he's going to do Trash Humpers too for his pick. But Bruce's pick, and not, not to throw salt on Trash Humpers, I ended up liking that movie. But his first pick, I, I think that was for the, I forgot what year that Notting Hill was. But yeah, Notting Hill, that was a very interesting pick from Bruce Perky. Let's see if he decides to go rom-com for the year 2013 <laughs> or if he sticks to his horror roots very quickly the features bruce you're doing okay okay so we got some personality for person uh, person stuff from eric holmes i don't have a personality oh, what oh i got something week? for you i got something yes. for you for you greg see, see if we can get a commitment on the air here as, so to speak no so what Hello? i don't know if you saw there's a there was a post recently like very recently then i think within the last hour that Peter beta is going to be in your town and uh Peter Beta, I, I mean I, it would Peter only Beta. be it would yes. only be right for you to 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 you know set up some sort of a meet 
and greet with oh. Mr. Abeda. Okay, I'm cutting that from the podcast. <laughs> I love you and your crew, Joseph and Tyler Noe. That's fine. I'll, I'll get him your address. We'll just show yeah. up. These are these are the trio from that wonderful podcast, Middle Class Film Class. Pete Abeda is a personal friend out, out of all of us. Yeah, we all love him. Pete, I apologize. You're coming from north, the north down to, I don't know why you're in, in my parts the next two days. I will be busy with doing stuff here and taking care of my niece. So in the future, though, the next time you're in L.A., Give me a little bit more of a notice and I'll make sure I will make time to have lunch with you and to break bread, break bread and, and talk cinema and, and all things movies and podcasting with you, Peter Beta. Sorry, I can't make it this go round in L.A. Um, he's he's bringing a date. This is going to be like a king of comedy. He's just going to, you know, show up and it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, Rupert Pumpkin, right? Is that is that Rupert or Rupert? Uh, pumpkin, Rupert, pumpkin, 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 Rupert, Rupert Pumpkin. pumpkin. <laughs> You're making him make him mad. You know when he gets I, mad, he's I, not I, he's pump. not very friendly. I don't know. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Please, Pete, uh, have fun in L.A. And I will see you next time, Peter Beta from Middle Class Film Class. Now, thanks for calling me out, <laughs> Bruce, for that one. <laughs> Bruce knows I never leave the house, and I never associate. Look, you don't have to I, leave the house. He's already got the 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 map to the stars. I'm sure you're on there, Pete. I love you, man. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a frame frame reference. Eric and Bruce are the only humans I talk to other than my niece and my mom. They don't even hear from me. They hear from me once every seven days. Anderson Cowan, the co-creator of Cinematics, he actually called me three weeks ago just to see how I was doing. And he's almost, <laughs> I, I talked to him a little bit and that's the last time I talked to Anderson. So Pete, I'm just saying I, I, I will make the, the time to build that bridge with you and friendship <laughs> down the road. I apologize. I just, I just like watching Greg squirm yes. in this situation. It's <laughs> amazing. Okay. Pete, love you. Love. And by the way, middle class film class, go check it. They're a great podcast. Hopefully that will balance my, my, uh, my reluctance to see another human being in two days. All right, let's get to our features. I love you, Pete. We got a VHS 85. We have Miranda's victim. We have a Barron's or <laughs> this is a Mongolian horror film. Credit to Bruce for tackling that movie. I'm not going to throw salt. I, I, I said throw, throw salt three times to Eric for not watching Barons because he, Eric, this film will, this uh, episode will be filled with Eric Holmes's reviews because he has other movies not that are featured to recommend. So Barons, that's a Mongolian horror film. And then finally, me and Eric will watch this. Thank God. It's, thank God Bruce, you're not reviewing this movie. It's a movie called From Sean McNamara. I love Sean McNamara. And in fairness, Bruce, you did love or enjoy at least that shot that director Sean McNamara's film Spare Parts from a year back when you saw it. The one with George Lopez, the sort of the family movie. Remember oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was a, a fun. I mean, it was some, some kind of formulaic somewhat, but in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. So you actually like that movie. So I'm not saying that you don't like Sean McNamara's films, but who knows? Maybe Eric has seen Vindicta. Ho uh, hopefully he might have kind of liked it. That's a movie that stars Elena Camporis, she of Children of the Corn fame. So we'll we'll see what Eric Holmes said. And I liked her in Wi-Fi. Come on, like that's not what you remember her for, though, really. Yeah, for speaking Mandarin to me about a year and a half ago. We, I love Elena Camporis. Didn't what she do I, sing to you too or something? She, I know, yeah, she, she said, yeah, she's, she's a wonderful human being. And uh, I almost- Greg has it on a loop. Don't worry, he has it on a loop. I almost, <laughs> stop it, Bruce. I almost love Elena Camporis as much as, as much as I love Peter Beta. How's that? How's that for that? See, so, yeah, Pete, I'm, I'm, I'm going to- well, The test is, who would you invite over first? <laughs> Peter Beta, of course. Pete, we love you. Okay, okay. So VHS 85, I did not see it. it streams on shutter on friday let's get to this this is it shutter october 6 
Eric Holmes, Bruce Perky, both of them are horror enthusiasts. I am assuming that they are both anthology enthusiasts as well. Let's start with who wants to tackle the description of it or what Eric or Bruce, you take the reins on how to describe VHS 85. So, uh, yeah, it is uh, certainly an anthology. This one, more than the past VHSs I've seen, this one seems more kind of cohesive in a sense that um, all of them seem like actual found footage. Like there, so there's there's certain you know there's certain supernatural things that happen in it, but a lot of it actually feels like less staged and more like this is just footage they found and something weird is going on or something crazy is going on. Is that a good As, thing? The fact that it's more cohesive is that a compliment or not? Yeah, and yeah. and also I, I think it made it seem more dirty. Like this one seemed, I mean, bring up uh, August Underground. Not that there's like a bunch of torture, although sometimes there is. Um, but this feels this feels a lot more dirty than uh, previous versions that I've seen. Uh, a lot less set up and more like a. You found a uh, VHS on the ground, picked it up, put it in, and oh, it's trash humpers. Like it, it, it's got that kind of feel to it. The, uh, as far as like a standout one on this, this like uh, what, what was the last one? VHS, the the one with the Deadstream guy. Yeah, I can lose like, track of the numbers. Or VHS eighty six. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like the the last one, the the last one, right? Uh, the 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 one that the Deadstream guy did was definitely the standout. This one, I'm having trouble finding a standout because to me they all kind of they all kind of blend together. And even the the interstitial stuff, it's hard sometimes to realize if you're in another of the uh, another of the segments because they kind of blend together. And there's like the interstitial stuff is kind of messy, so it just kind of eventually get into there. And then you you might be like a minute or two. Oh, this must be the next segment. I didn't realize. Okay. Well, Bruce, here's the thing. I'm looking at the directors. David Bruckner from The Night House, Hellraiser. That's a quality filmmaker. Scott Derrickson, The Black Phone, Sinister, Gigi Saul Guerrero. I don't know Saul Guerrero, but Bingo Hell, Culture Shock. And then Natasha Kermani, who I liked from Lucky. I don't know if you guys liked Lucky as much as I did, but I really enjoyed Lucky. And Mike Nelson from wrong turn eric was talking about they kind of blended together did they feel like a seamless blend for you and not non-distinctive or did you get a little bit more value from maybe certain sections of this movie um i would well hmm i'm i'm kind of similar to eric on this one i think that more i guess a lot of the other ones have more peaks and valleys and i think this maybe doesn't have quite as high a peaks as the last couple had there might be a consistently more of a similar level i don't think any of them are super like, I don't think any of these are, are like all out clunkers, which I think the other ones would have a few that were clunkers. The, but I don't know if there's one of these, maybe as a star. Although, a couple things I'll call out. So, first of all, I would agree the found footage side seems to really work like consistently throughout the uh, segments. The interstitial segment is the best of the last three because the last couple did not have good interstitial kind of connecting segments or they weren't very interesting. This one at least has some interesting stuff going on and kind of rounds out the the show uh one other thing that i thought was interesting about this well first of all the first segment which is a bunch of it's kind of the classic a bunch of teenager types early 20s types going out to camping at what uh i wrote it down uh lake evil apparently because <laughs> they wrote they found the sign on the ground that said welcome to lake evil uh they're going to lake evil and then something happens to them that's not really related to the lake but kind of is related to the lake that's kind of your classic 
teens go out and something bad happens to them kind of story. But what really struck me about that one is a later segment directly links to that, which I did not expect. And I don't think I've seen that happen in any of the other VHS series. I could be wrong, but I don't remember that ever happening. That was kind of fun. And I really liked the last segment quite a bit too, which is when Eric talked about them kind of feeling dirty and stuff. I think that was the most of that to me, where you have uh, tapes, VHS tapes of, let's say, crimes happening, being sent to the police. And there's kind of a twist to that story. But each of those tapes, like putting those tapes in and kind of watching them unfold, kind of remind me of Sinister a little bit, where you just find these tapes and each tape you see, you're like, oh, oh. anytime you see a tape where it's this grungy VHS recording of someone walking into someone's house and you don't know what's going to transpire. That's always a little bit uh, anxiety inducing. So I think overall though, it was, I would say solid, not bad, not great. That would kind of be where I fall. Bruce, maybe slightly disappointing because I know that you've appreciated previous iterations of the VHS franchise. Possibly, I think that the last one I would probably rate a little lower than this one. Although the last one had the great high of that one final one, I think was really, really good. But the overall, I don't think it quite struck me. The one before it, though, was the one I think that we really liked. All of us liked quite a bit that had uh, Ratma and all that stuff in it. That one, <laughs> that one was pretty great. That one that was, was memorable. This yeah. one is, this one is solid. Like this is to me, you know, it's Saturday night, it's October. You want something to watch with the friends and you want it to be kind of, solidly fun and not boring have new things happening all the time i would put this right on eric you agree with that it's the the fact that it's just solid through and through this vhs 85 yeah. and okay yeah yeah the like bruce said there's no peaks no valleys it's all like consistent it's all consistently good i would say and also uh did, didn't mention I, I believe guar shows up for a couple frames <laughs> they do that's true I, I had to rewind that i'm like wait was that ball sack jaws of death Oh, 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 it was. Last thing. Uh, also, the best uh, <laughs> the best payoff to an ongoing uh, clip of some 80s jazzer size kind of thing that keeps showing up. There's a great payoff to that bit, too, in this movie. I, I would also uh, mention that uh, they really lean into the uh, VHS camcorder uh, aesthetic of this. And in doing so, it gets really shaky at times. So do not stand get far away from the screen. I I, I could or, not imagine watching this in the theater. I'd be throwing up like halfway through. Or put on your VR goggles and enjoy. No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just feeling oddly. I'm feeling like tormenting people tonight, apparently. <laughs> I like that. I like the tormentor Bruce. Bruce, not Bruce the butcher and Bruce the tormentor. Now, Eric, what is your rating on VHS 85 Friday, October 6th on Shutter? What is your rating? I'd probably go like three and a half on this. Because, okay. uh, like I said, there's no highs, there's no lows, but I do appreciate the consistency throughout and how it kind of feels of a whole. And and that you don't usually see in anthologies. So, oh, shit, maybe go for it. But, yeah, well, I, I think 3.5 is, is definitely a recommend. Definitely a recommend. But also, like most anthologies, if you're not liking this at the beginning, you're probably not going to like the rest of it. Whereas most anthologies is, if you don't like this, stick around for the next one because you'll probably like that. That doesn't really work here because they're all kind of similar throughout bruce i'm assuming that you have the same kind of rating the same rating as eric on this maybe yeah three and a half that's exactly where i was going to rate it too okay that's three and a half for vhs 85 reviewed by eric holmes and bruce Berkey. i whenever we review a shutter film there is a sort of a marcel proustian lament that i feel 
really horrible that even though we review so many movies, we started off with Bruce loving Shudder so much. And we would cover, if I recall on Find Your Film, a lot more Shudder releases when we did Jallo. The more movies we have to see outside the Shudder realm, I have a feeling that Bruce is that person on, on a on a boat looking, on a ferry looking at, across across the shores. Like, oh, I wish I was just watching so many Shudder movies. Bruce, you ever feel that way that you're, 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 you don't spend enough quality time with Shudder because you have to see so many different movies every week? No, 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 no. I, I mean, I really do like the weird variety we get. And I, I honestly getting, we get clunkers to me at least once in a while. And, but that kind of that thing of just literally knowing nothing about a movie and putting it on and seeing what you get. And sometimes it's an amazing movie. So I I like that a lot. I really hope sometimes it's an amazing movie (laughs) refers to Miranda's victim. Mr. Miranda. A girl was grabbed on 7th Street on Saturday night, right around the same time that you got out of work. Can you describe the man? Number one looks like him. Tell me everything. And don't leave anything out. I'm testifying. Are you sure about this? All rise. I don't want to see you become damaged goods. It's not just for me. The prosecution calls Patricia Ann Shumway. What about the next girl? Promise I'm going to put this guy in jail for a long time. The jury has found you guilty as charged. Hello, Ernest. John Flynn. Can you get me out of here? I believe I can. Aren't you going to ask me if I'm guilty? I'm far more interested in why you signed that confession. I know what you're trying to do. A man's as guilty as sin. The issue is whether this defendant's confession should have been allowed in evidence. It was coercion, plain and simple. There was not an attorney present. Don't make him the face of your crusade. What about Miranda's victim? I really don't care. Objection, Your Honor. Your Honor, you must stop this. You must stop this now. The cases before us raise questions. What if they say he's not guilty? The Supreme Court might make us retry him. The whole world wants nothing but to take from us. Miranda did not request counsel. Therefore, we reverse. And being locked away is the only thing that lets me sleep at night. Mr. Miranda, our justice system has afforded you every privilege, every protection. Hey! This is a courtesy not extended to your victim. I am stealing myself for Bruce Perk from Bruce Perky's review. I am I am nervous because I think a spoiler alert, both Eric and I really love this courtroom drama. I'm just going to very quickly, it's directed by Michelle Danner, just interviewed her today. Well, yeah, and it was, she was great uh, speaking with her, has an all-star cast, Abigail Breslin, Ryan Phillippe, Luke Wilson, Emily Van Camp, and so many people, Dan Loria, Kyle McLaughlin, Andy Garcia, Donald Sutherland, Enrique Murciano, so many wonderful people. But here's the thing that's very interesting about this 126-minute drama, which the genre, for some reason, in the press release, calls it a thriller, which is, well, the movie is based on true events set in 19th. Yeah, I don't know. Why is it called a thriller? Maybe more, Eric, maybe more of a courtroom drama or a drama? Would you say that's Uh, the genre? Definitely a procedural. I would would think procedural is pretty fair. All right. So I think, think I would think Law and Order, right? 
I mean, it's yeah. got yeah. procedure. It's yeah, half actually, procedural, half exactly. Miranda's victim, based on true events set in 1963, centers on 18-year-old Trish Weir, again, a real person, played by Abigail Breslin in a just a fantastic performance. She's kidnapped and sexually assaulted by a man, a stranger named Ernesto Miranda, played by Sebastian Quinn, and eventually she takes him to court. He is uh, sent to prison for this is this is all fact based stuff. Okay, so we're not going to talk about all the facts here, but she takes him. It's about her taking Erne- Ernesto Miranda to court and trying to mete out justice in the, in the proce- in the proceedings. Of course, this is 1963, and it, what's what's weird and sad is a lot of rape convictions don't actually transpire even today. But think of 1963, how much guts it took Trish Weir to actually try to bring justice to her situation. Luke Wilson plays her prosecutor, the attorney, attorney, and he's very good in this movie as well. And then eventually you see as the years progress, several years progress in the 60s, how this case eventually gets overturned and via a Supreme Court situation, thanks to Ernesto's defense attorney played by Ryan Philippi. It's a very intricate movie, 126 minutes, again, over two hours. Every single minute, I was pretty much riveted. The movie is shot on film. When you see certain movies and you, and it's not, I was pre-programmed to think this was going to be like a solid three and a half movie that I, people like me like i like all these movies these type of films but it was a real upscale regarding learning about miranda rights learning about just this whole person trish weir about her story so many great things about this movie i was absolutely surprised at how much i really enjoyed miranda's victim before we get to eric's i i'm assuming similar kind of take on miranda's victim i don't know about bruce what do you think about miranda's victim did it work for you on a base level or did you are you following sort of my train of thought on this too. Um, I think I'm closer to the base level. Uh, I think it's good. Uh, definitely when I saw the poster and stuff, I was worried because it was just, uh, you know, a bunch of you know, famous heads and it just kind of this generic looking poster. And I was like, Oh boy, what are we getting into here? Um, but a lot of, you know, great actors and stuff too. So, you know, one of those things where it could go either way. Um, and I think the production values were better than I expected for this kind of movie. Although, I mentioned Law and Order. It does feel to me a little bit less cinematic, a little bit, even though it looks good, it feels kind of like TV movie in a way. Like it's shot on film, which the is the way cool. it's, yeah, but the way it's kind of staged, the way it's plotted, all the things about it, uh, it's not, never gets too violent, never gets too, you know, it's, it's, it's relatively safe in that aspect. It's not bad. It's just, it's, a, it's a little bit, Mom, mom, dad level, kind of a movie in some ways. Uh, but that being said, it kept me interested throughout. It kept me following the characters. The acting was pretty darn great, especially um, Abigail. She's quite amazing in this. And, and she's been great for years, but she hasn't really got to shine like this that I can remember in a movie for uh, quite a while. And once again, I might have just missed the other movies she's been in. But mm-hmm. she really gets to play and do a lot in this movie. I guess if I have any kind of... Other than I said, like kind of it feeling a little, you know, a little safe, a little TV plotting as well as that goes. Yeah, yeah. That, that'd be a little a little cut against it. The only other thing about it that's a little weird, and I, I couldn't quite picture what was kind of nagging at me. And once again, this is kind of, I enjoyed it. it it's not, I'm going to recommend it. But the thing kind of nagged at me was, there's something about the, the point of view of this movie that kind of throws me a little bit. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I finally, I think figured it out. And this just could be my take on it. I'd be curious to see what other people think about this. This feels like a movie that at some degree, and not the movie, but probably the script, I'm guessing 
that at some degree is saying like, well, this is how Miranda rights came to pass. Here's the untold story, quote, untold story of the woman, you know, who under, who went through this horrible event and how she had to fight to get justice. And it kind of felt like the whole time to me, like, isn't this Miranda right kind of in the way? Like, isn't it sad that this came to pass? And isn't it kind of like, I keep feeling like this movie is kind of like on the side of like, you know, why can't we just let the cops do what they need to do to get to justice? Because they were getting to justice anyway here, right? Weren't they doing the right thing? Isn't it kind of cool that they were just kind of doing what they were doing? So I kind of get that vibe from this script the whole time. And even I think in the blurb, it's something like that, like something about how uh, <laughs> the real evil that was done upon was never been told or something like that, or some kind of weird like slant to it like that. So it just feels to me like it has a little bit of a an axe to grind that this actually, this Miranda right was actually created in the first place. And wouldn't it be great if we could really just take the the shackles off these poor cops that can't get stuff done? Once again, that's a minor little side like tone that I feel in here. And once again, I think it's mostly in the script. I think everyone else is here doing great work for a cause that they probably feel really strongly about. And I would say I would overall recommend it. I, you know, for some reason, I didn't read it that way. I just thought it was just tragic. I had no idea how someone's Miranda writes the origins of that came from such a traumatic event. Eric, your thoughts on Miranda's victim and Bruce's train of thought regarding his perceptions on on Miranda's victims as victim as well. Did you see where he's going with that? I do. And I I I kind of disagree just cuz I saw it from a, a different perspective the but um the Bruce's perspective is totally valid. Yeah. The way I saw it was uh, Miranda rights is our rights were all afforded. And sometimes things that we need as a society or rights we need to fight for, <clears throat> sometimes the way we have to go about fighting it is not the cleanest way, but that doesn't make the rights any less valid. So, for for example, uh, you're behind Abigail, uh, Breslin's character, uh, unless you're an idiot. Yeah, right. <laughs> unless you're a monster, you're, unless you're a monster, you're unless you're, you're Miranda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, right. But you're behind Abigail, but also uh, Miranda, uh, Ernesto Miranda, the one that raped her, the one that his namesake is Miranda writes. He's a rapist. He's a piece of crap, garbage human being, but he still deserves his rights. And that's kind of that's kind of what I what I see this movie is saying. It's kind of like a freedom of speech doesn't end at speech you like. It goes beyond that. Uh, Nazis get freedom of speech as much as it sucks. But if, you know, if everyone doesn't get it, then no one gets it. You know, that sort of thing. So like the Miranda rights are important and Ernesto uh, Miranda definitely deserved them. But it's it's hard to, you know, it's hard to get behind that, isn't it? Because like Ernesto is just such a such a piece of work that like how how can you how can you root for that uh ryan Phil Philippi's character like he's the he's what you would normally call the antagonist in this but the thing he's fighting for depending on what reason he's fighting for it and probably more selfish reasons but the thing that he's fighting for is worth fighting for and i one of the things i love about this movie is it's so dirty in the sense of uh how, how it deals with eth ethics and morality uh, because usually the the more important conversations to have about ethics and morality do kind of get dirty from time to time. And this is just one case of that. And I, I also think that's what made this movie the most interesting is, uh, you know, we've all heard of the Miranda rights. 
I think very few people knew the history of that. And then to see it play out, it's like, oh, God, yeah, that's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how I feel about this, but, you know, it, it is what it is. And I, I really appreciate that this movie kind of leaned into both sides, even the ugly side that we don't want to really talk about or think about. Well, Eric, I was really surprised by this movie. Were you surprised as well at how good this movie you, you I think you texted yeah. me that it was a banger. What made this a banger? All of those aforementioned things, the way uh, it presented. Yeah, every, everything it everything I said. I I was definitely surprised um because like I watched it because it's courtroom drama and I love courtroom dramas, but uh like Bruce mentioned that that poster, Jesus. <laughs> if you go online and look up the poster, don't. Just just watch the movie. Just not read the Miranda rights to the poster creator. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. look, and to Bruce's point, these are all very, very good, if not excellent actors on the poster. It's just the poster you're thinking, oh, no, this is not going to be a good movie. No, it's a really good movie. Yeah. I really loved it. And I, all three of us recommend it. I'm sorry, Eric. You were good. Oh, and and I, I think the movie actually looks really good. Uh, it reminded me, like, it didn't look quite as good as Zodiac, but it had the same feel to it, probably because it's set roughly around the same time. Maybe that's maybe that's the reason. But, uh, yeah, I love the look of it. I, I was just kind of leaning in. Uh, you know what kind of reminds me of? Paths of Glory. Because Paths of Glory is essentially three movies in one. You got the you got the war movie, then you got the uh, the courtroom drama in the yeah. middle, and then you got the prison movie at the end. That you know, this is like a uh, kind of a rape story, and then it turns into a courtroom drama, it's and then it turns point. into kind of, yeah. It, it it feels like it feels like it's a couple movies in one, and they all work together great. Yeah, I, I absolutely love this movie. So I interviewed Michelle Dana today and I asked her about this movie and the, the look, like you were saying, Eric, and she said the movie's shot on film. Her son, who is also a up-and-coming filmmaker, he's telling her mom, he was telling, he said, mom, don't shoot on film, shoot on digital. He said, he was basically basically telling his mom, you're not up for the challenge to shoot this movie on film. But then she said she wanted to go the extra mile to shoot this movie on film. And I think it, it really looked good. Uh, in my opinion as well. And yeah, so that is, I think this is a really good find for us. Miranda's Victim this week in select theaters on demand, October 6th. It's actually doing a, did a great run in the festival circuit. It won a whole bunch of awards. I'm so glad that Bruce at the very base level actually was going to recommend this movie. I am absolutely surprised. Let's start with Bruce's rating for Miranda's Victim. Uh, probably go three and a half. Exactly the same as VHS 90, whatever it just was. <laughs> just 85. Very good. Three and a half stars for Bruce Perky. I look, look, I'm giving Miranda's Victim four and a half stars. Really love this movie. And I, I'm going to highly recommend this movie to anyone who asks me. So, Eric. Uh, this is a five-star banger for me. Granted, this is catnip for me, but I also I love how... I, I also love how it just kind of, uh, you know, it, it, it stayed within the gray area throughout and just kept me interested and kept, kept my, kept my gears turning the whole time. And okay. even like, even the stuff that Bruce said that was kind of, uh, made him feel a certain way about that, that went through my head too. And, but also that's kind of what kept me invested in this movie and, uh, got me more and more kind of thinking about it. And here's the thing. If you are slightly interested from our review of Miranda's victim, and and actually, Dan or actually Michelle Dan talks about it. The ending of this movie is exactly what happened. So it's not just a oh. courtroom drama. It's just not the courtroom drama. It's not just there is something that happens at the end, and you go, "Wait, did they just make that up?" Nope. That's exactly what happened in real life. Oh, Eric, 
you were, yeah, you I, 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 I forgot all about that. So when that happened, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit and, and then uh, went right to Wikipedia as soon as the, the movie was over. I was like, <laughs> I mean, you have to have that in there. That's, that's exactly. Yeah. I, I, I know that like, just cause things happen doesn't mean it has to be in the movie, but it's kind of, it yeah. had to be there, right? You know, I, she had I to fight. So. She had to fight to actually put that ending in. Can you believe that? Really? When you listen to the interview, she had to put that ending in. I, I can't wait to hear that interview. Oh, okay. So, all right. All right. So that is Miranda's victim. Now, here's my question of the day. And I, I feel bad. Bruce, you and I are old. We are we are seeing that sunset draw nearer to us. We are sailing towards it. Not sailing. We are we're motorboating our way to the sunset. So I, what I is mean, that I could only hope I'm motorboating my way towards okay, the sunset. Well, family show, family show. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. What? Yeah, that, that what? Eric what? had something in his cheeks. So no, I don't know what you're talking about, Eric Holmes. Look, okay. So what was that, Mikey? What's that? Mikey commercials with the cereal. What was it? Hey, life? Mikey, he likes it. Yeah. Checks. Was it checks or life? What was it? It was what life. Was life cereal. So every single week, whenever there's a horror movie, I could, I, that's akin to me. I go, okay, so Bruce, AKA Mikey's going to like it. He, <laughs> <laughs> we, I can throw a, mo- a horror movie to the wall and Bruce would scoop it up. I had no idea if any one of us was going to go see the Mongolian horror film. I'm giving uh, Eric a pass because he had to see 20 hundred movies this week. But thank goodness, Bruce Perky <laughs> took the mantle for this Mongolian horror film, Aberrance, I believe. Aberrance, I don't know if that's how yeah, you pronounce it. I don't know. I don't know either. Bruce, Bruce tell <laughs> tell us. T- Aberrance? Yeah. T- yeah. Yeah. Tell me and Eric and, and the listeners that are we missing something with this Mongolian horror film that well, you spend a lot of time watching <laughs> it's not that long i think it's like an hour and 20 minutes or something so it's not too bad it's not too long and eric i would have really been interested to see eric watch this because i know how eric loves he loves like a, a plucky indie unsuspecting movie like you know you just think of the, <laughs> the the yak in the classroom and stuff like that this is not yak in the classroom but i mean just a movie from someplace you, you just never expect to get a movie from you know i did not expect to watch any mongolian horror movies this year and now I can say I have. So that that alone is is worth the price of admission. So <laughs> the basic story of this, it's funny because you tell the story, and then it's like this doesn't sound spectacularly weird. It sounds pretty normal. It's not like Mongolian, whatever that means. <laughs> anyway, it's directed by uh, Batar Bak- Batsuk. I will say the names of the two main characters. I will not say their actual names because I am just going to give up and not try. Um, we have Urkmi. <laughs> Uh, my name is Perkme. Yeah, Perkme. Perkme <laughs> <laughs> is a husband, and Solengi or Solengi is his wife. And it basically starts out with them driving out to like a um, kind of like like what we would call a summer cabin. But they're going off to like stay in this place. And summer cabin in Mongolian is is very snowy, as you might guess. They go out to this cabin. It's a really cool looking cabin. It's really nice. It's not like it's not like super rustic or anything. It, it looks like a cabin anyone would want to stay in. They get there and she unloads all her paint supplies and stuff. And you find out very quickly she's pregnant. And you also meet the neighbor right away, which surprisingly, there's another cabin. It seems like, I don't know, 20 yards away in this really remote (laughs) forested setting. There's another cabin right there. And they meet the neighbor and he seems like a totally nice, if not kind of mild mannered dude. And very quickly, it appears that um, the the husband, Erkmi, is very... um, very severe uh, and very uh, strict and possibly abusive. Uh, right, right out of the gate, you see him doing things like, you know, have you taken your medicine? And she's like, she doesn't want to take her medicine. And he's like, 
you know, shoving the medicine into her mouth and you're like, Oh, okay. No, it's not a, not a great dude. I see. And then, you know, a night or two later, the neighbor's out doing work in his yard or whatever, chopping wood. I forget what he's doing. And he hears screaming and yelling and stuff. And you're like, Oh gosh. And then he goes over there like the next day and peers in the window. The husband has left and the neighbor sees that she is, she just happens to be her back facing to him. And, and he sees that she's all bruised up and, and battered and you're like, Oh boy. Okay. So I see where this is going. Um, and that's kind of the setup of the movie. And, uh, it, uh, friends appear at a certain point. Uh, the neighbor calls the cops at a certain point, which of course escalates things. And for about two thirds of the movie, I would say this movie was kind of like a, you know, okay, standard, I guess not really a horror movie as much as kind of like a psychological thriller kind of a thing where it's like, you know, uh, how's the neighbor going to save her from this abusive husband or is the abusive husband going to kill everybody or, and the friends or what's going to happen? What's going to go on here? And then it takes a turn and becomes something different than I thought it was going to be. I would say it never soars. It's very rough around the edges. It is very low budget. Uh, I don't know what the budget for horror films is in Mongolia, but for what they have, they they make kind of a nice twisty little thriller. So I would say I had a good time with it. I wouldn't say, you know, run out to see it right away. I would say maybe when it's on a streamer, give it a try and see if you like it. But um, there was some good little twists and turns in this. And it had a, I would say a, a satisfying ending for a movie like this. So the twist upscaled your experience slightly. Yes. Or yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If it had just kind of gone down the path it was going the, all the way to the end, I would have been like, oh, okay. But it was, it was more like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so it was like, it was still an okay, but it wasn't, it was like an up okay instead of like, oh, okay, <laughs> kind of a thing. Okay. So Aberrance, if that's how you pronounce it, yeah. it's in theaters by Freestyle Digital Media somewhere in North America. It's playing in theaters. Didn't, doesn't say anything somewhere about it. in North somewhere. America. I mean, I, I we're going to promote the heck out of this. I, know, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm sure in the repertory. Look, I, I who knows? Maybe the big twist, it, it's playing in your local multiplex. I don't know, but it'll be in theaters in on Friday. Bruce, what is your, I apologize to the makers of appearance. What is your rating on this movie? Uh, my rating is the rating of the week. Three and a half stars. In half stars, solid twisty experience and review from the aforementioned Bruce Perky out of Barons. I don't know, Eric. Do you think Eric Holmes is going to three and a half it, or does he get a three star bang the heck out of Barons when he sees it? He might three star uh, bang. Uh, did you see it? Oh Eric? no, no. I could see. I, I, I could see Eric if he's in the right mood. I could see this possibly really, really hitting for Eric. Okay, all right. So that is a Barons. Apologies to Bruce that I didn't see it. I think I can't wait to your box pick because I think you have a classic movie coming up towards the end of the episode. I think it has to do with Jacques Tati. I, I don't know. I could be wrong on that, but we'll we'll get to that shortly. Now, let's get to me and Eric. You know what? I've said Invicta so many times. It's not Invicta. It's Vindicta as in like <laughs> vengeance. Or, but I, for the same reason, I keep on saying Invicta. I don't know. But the movie is called Invicta. See, I said the movie's called Vindicta. The movie is called Vindicta. It's out on in select theaters and available to buy on digital via Paramount Movies. Elena Camporis, again, I'm a biased fan of Camporis and her work. I hope Eric considers himself a biased fan as well because Eric and I did a really cool hang with not Elena Camporis, with one of the other actresses and the director for Children of the Corn. We had a really great hang with them. I enjoyed the movie and we talked spoilers. So anyway, so... I'm assuming that you like Kemporis as well. She plays a paramedic on sort of, she's in training, but the thing is her boss played by Sean Astin tells her to go out into the field because they are lacking in 
paramedic workers in, I guess, this really uh, downtrodden section of the city, which I believe it's set in Seattle. So you see this set and it's a lot of looting. There's uh, homeless people there. Amidst all of this stuff in this city, there is a serial killer who wears a white mask and he beheads the opening act he, he beheads someone and then he actually puts someone up in the air he there's a lot of torture sequences it's not a violent movie but there's a lot of torture uh, moments torturous moments by this killer in this ma- this mass killer so ultimately elena Campos's character as well as her co-worker these paramedics they are threatened by this killer who is terrorizing the city the movie also stars jeremy piven as elena Campos's father and it's, again, directed by Sean McNamara, a filmmaker whose movies I just biasly enjoyed. I have not seen his latest film with Dennis Quaid on A Wing in a Prayer, which is on Prime Video. But I can tell you this. I did enjoy Comporis as the lead in Vindicta. She has a really cool third act moment when she has a little, the aforementioned, the, she has a really great showdown with the killer. And she says a very memorable line, which we're not going to repeat because that's a spoiler. But I enjoyed this movie. I had a fun time watching Vindicta. Is it going to change the world? No, but I, as a B-level action film with a solid lead, had a good time watching Vindicta. My rating for it is three and a half out of five stars. And that is Eric Holmes' rating for Vindicta as well, right, Eric? So I'm just saying. No, my rating will be much lower than that. But to what I want to say (laughs) is that my, my star rating the, the the chasm between the star rating and how much I enjoyed this movie is probably the furthest that that has ever been. Oh, much no. like uh, much like much, much like Til- Children of the Corn, like I I wouldn't call this a good movie, but this is like uh, kind of like the kind of took me back to like old straight to video action movies where it's like or or thrillers. It's like uh, I think uh, Sylvester Stallone had one called ICU. Like this yeah. is kind of that that kind of movie. But man, I was totally in for it. <laughs> like I, I was ready for that kind of diet. And I think uh, between uh, this and Children of the Corn, like Elena Camporis, like she's kind of she kind of fits into these kind of movies pretty well. Very good. And it sounds yeah. weird to say, but I kind of hope she keeps doing these B movies. And I'd like to see her do one, one or fifteen with like Nicolas Cage. Just have like <laughs> Elena Camporis and Nicolas Cage just go on a run where they do nothing but B movies, like you know, ten of them in a row. And uh, it's it's weird because this is not a good movie, but damn it, if I didn't have a fun time watching it, it, it it's kind of like a, it's kind of like like seven, but like, hey, I want to make seven, but we don't have the budget and the we script. don't have the we don't have the scripts, we don't have, like we don't have the the talent that seven does, but damn, we're gonna try and make it anyway, and that that's kind of that's kind of what this turned into, yeah. So that's kind I, of I a- would probably give this. One star? Is that I, you I would get... probably no. I, I would give this two stars, but I give it the uh, Comporis bump of two and a half stars. So I'll, I'll go two and a half on this. <laughs> Just know this is not a good movie, but I think I think some of the people listening, uh, like Chad Wilfong, for example, he might lean into this more than other people. I, I don't know that that's the case, but I, I feel like that's kind of the the uh, temperament you need to have going into this one. And if you get in the right headspace, I think you're going to have a lot of fun with it. If you're going into this thinking it's seven, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Again, I've mentioned my bias, our bias for Elena Camporis. There is no Camporis bump with this. I, 
I think this is a good movie, and maybe I'm completely wrong. Here's yeah. the most important thing. Go check this movie out. You can yell at me, or you could agree with Eric, or you could yell at Eric and silently agree with me on, on whether Vindicta works for you. I don't know. I, I don't know what Bruce would have given Vindicta. Probably, who knows? I I, I think it's good. <laughs> I think I don't know if we wetted. Who knows? <laughs> his, I don't know if we wetted Bruce Perky's interest on Vindicta. Yes, Eric. You, you know the best way to describe Vindicta? Guilty pleasure. This 100%. is a movie everyone will watch and say this movie sucks, but there's going to be people who watch it. So it was actually my favorite movie of the year. Or don't want to tell you. Oh, I really hate. Or people will go, I really hated that movie. I'm going to have to watch it again, right? It's one of those. Oh, uh, yeah, the, 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 those people certainly exist, and I might be one of them. <laughs> I like that. Very complex review from Eric Obes for Dicta. So that is our features uh, for this week. And look, we're not we're not done yet because we have some really great films to cover. There are some recommendations from Eric Holmes. There's actually two recommendations before we get to Bruce Berkey's box movie of Playtime. Eric, what do you got to recommend or maybe not recommend to our Cinematics listeners? All right. Uh, first of all, we have uh, Monsters of California. It's a new movie. Uh, Tom DeLonge, a Blink-182. It's his uh, directorial debut. Um, it's um, mostly a comedy, like a comedy horror, alien horror. Uh, teenager Dallas Edwards and his derelict friends on a quest for the meeting behind a series of mysterious paranormal events in Southern California. The Great Bay of California. There's a bunch of uh, – if you follow Tom DeLonge, you know that he's into like uh, like alien conspiracy theory stuff. And that's all that's all definitely here. I think where this movie works the best is as a comedy because uh, Tom DeLonge, uh, if you, again, if you follow Blink-182, uh, you know he's uh, – you know, everyone in the band's uh, pretty – has pretty good humor. But also, you know, if you're into that kind of humor. I, I thought the uh, comedy was really strong. What surprised me is the action scenes and the uh, there's, you know, a couple of action scenes and uh, scary scenes with like, uh, you know, maybe ghosts or aliens or uh, there's a scene with a Bigfoot. Uh, those actually all uh, were really good. I think where this fails the hardest is that there's some scenes that they try to get some like emotional connection with the audience and it just doesn't work probably because they're leaning too much with the uh, scares and the comedy that when they get the emotion and it, it's just not as strong. But uh, I think uh, for a first, you know, for a directorial debut, um, that's a pretty good one. And if you like Blink-182 and you like uh, Tom DeLonge's humor, this one's a no-brainer for a lot of those type of people. And if you like Casper Van Dien, my goodness, he's in this as well. well that's pretty. Oh, yeah. Uh, him, Richard and Kind. Uh, Richard Kind's really good. Casper Van Dien's, I mean, you know what? I take back what I said earlier about Nicolas Cage. Elena Camporis and Casper Van Dien need to be in a bunch <laughs> of movies together. Very, in very fact, cool. if Elena Camporis was in this, uh, that that would have got a uh, Camporis bump as well. Um, <laughs> so this one's kind of hard to recommend to, like, say someone like Bruce, because I know that my sense of humor and Bruce's sense of humor don't always match up. Mm-hmm. Unless it's coming out of my mouth, and it always does. <laughs> but uh, indeed, uh, yeah, I, I, I would judge this based on what you think of Tom DeLonge and his brand of humor. And if you like it, go into it. And if you don't, this might even be a little better than you might think. 
Okay. So what is your personal rating on Monsters of California? I mean, this has three-star banger all over it. It, it, there's, it, it definitely has its specific audience, and that audience is going to love it. And the ones that aren't that audience, I think I think it might pull a couple more people in that wouldn't otherwise. But uh, it, it's definitely for it, – it definitely has its lane, and it kind of stays there. Okay, so the movie, Monsters of California, directed by Blink-182's Tom DeLonge. It's in theaters and on demand on Friday, December 5th. And three-star banger from Eric Holmes. And also, it comes out on DVD December 5th. So make sure, Eric, you put in your request for the DVD. Hopefully, you'll get a review copy and you can review it mm-hmm. as well, we'll as possibly. We will see for Monsters of California. And then you have one more recommendation. Eric. Yeah, well, one and a half. But uh, the 57 Seconds, uh, directed by Rusty Cundiff, uh written by Rusty Cundiff and Megan Blair, uh, stars Josh Hutcherson, Morgan Freeman. Um, this, so basically, uh, Josh Hutchinson, uh, saves Morgan Freeman from, uh, craze killer and Morgan Freeman drops his ring and he takes off and Josh Hutchinson picks it up and he's like, Oh, it's a cool looking ring. And, uh, at one point he like kind of bumps it and he goes back in time, 57 seconds. He's like, what the hell? And then, so this is kind of like, this kind of like one of those, one of those, uh, things that's. Every time he touches the ring, he goes back 57 seconds, but he's got to wait for the ring to recharge before he can go back. You know, it has all the rules set up uh, early on. He uses the ring to go to a uh, casino to get like a bunch of money um, by the car. Um, he meets a uh, girl that he likes at a job that he had before he went to the casino and didn't need the job anymore. But uh, he falls in love with this uh, woman and they, you know, they start to have sex and he kind of, keeps fucking things up and hits the 50 seconds back. So he can go back and try things over. Um, you know, it, it's a really fun movie that kind of uh, really leans into its premise. Uh, th- this one too is also a little straight to video, but it's a little better than that. I think, um, you know, the, the, the finale or the, you know, the last third kind of gets a little ridiculous, but everything leading up to it and how they play with the whole 57 seconds, like all the things that he does with that power is pretty fun to watch. Okay. So, yeah. So just a very little Rusty Cundiff, who you're going to interview tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I interviewed him. This is how old I am, Eric. I interviewed him two years into my job as an entertainment journalist in 1993. He directed a movie called Fear of a Black Hat. So that was yeah. over 30 years ago. So that's when I, I guess, and I, that would probably make him one of the first crop of people I interviewed just two years into my, those were the salad days, weren't they, Bruce, when we were young and. Ah, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Eric, the young, the youngster Eric Holmes gets to interview Rusty kind of tomorrow for 57 seconds. Again, it's currently what it's out in theaters right now, I believe, Eric. And it's also maybe, is it on demand? I'll check mm-hmm. if it's on. Okay. So yeah, on- yeah, you can you can uh, rent it or buy it on demand. Or, okay. Um, I, I, the, probably more more of a rental than a buy, but I I, th- I think some people are going to have some fun with this. Okay. I, I, as far as like star rating, I'm a type. I'm torn between a three and a half and a four. Mm. Okay. I, you know what? I, I'll go four because just because I think it it takes the uh, premise and has a lot of fun with it. So. Uh, if, if you dig the premise of you touch a ring and you go back 50 sec- seconds in the past, that sounds like something uh, you have fun watching. This definitely does that, and it does it pretty well. 
Okay, very, very cool. That is 57 seconds. That is uh, four stars from, from Eric Holmes. That sounds like a very interesting film. I, I just got this email from Ter- Therese Regan, and it says, thanks, we will get you a link today or first thing tomorrow. Press notes attached. The press notes are for this movie called The Kane Mutiny Court Martial. So Nice. Yeah, so hopefully we will get a screener, I've heard of that. screener link from that William Friedkin movie. We all love William Friedkin. So who knows? Maybe we'll review it next week over on Cinematics. Now, Peter Beta, who I will one day, our paths will cross. But until then, be, until then, we have to play the wonderful music of middle class film class, right? His wonder, what does he do every single week? Eric Holmes with that beautiful mel- melodic thing that he does. What does he do? Yo, Pete, gently place that beat down and smooth it out. Remove your hand from the box, and you die. What's in the box? Pain. All right, we're back. Bruce, to close out the show... Will you actually reach out to our Cinematics Facebook group listeners about this movie? And I think it was Jeff Basson was saying, oh, I really love Tativille or I really, you need to research this movie. And I'm thinking, dude, that sounds like a lot of homework. You were probably living in Tativille <laughs> for years. Jeff Basson, we love you. We loved your recommendation uh, a couple of years back when we did the Days of Heaven episode together. Love you, Jeff Basson. But he really loved the movie. And I think someone else really loved the movie. Playtime. A lot of people call this movie a masterpiece. Let's hear what it is. And hopefully yeah. it's... So which is that level? Neither of you seen to playtime. I take it right or Mr. Oh. Hulo Hulo's holiday. Hulo's. Or yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a whole bunch of Mr. Hulo's movies, I guess, uh, with that character that Jacques Tati has in his movies. I think I put this. I heard about this on. I wanted to say before. I think I heard it on um, uh, Joe Dante's show. One of his people that he had on there was talking about it. And uh, French classic cinema is a huge blind spot for me. So I have two or three different classic, you know, French renowned movies in my in the box here so i can eventually get to them um this is the first movie i've seen by jacques tati uh, this is a very very notorious movie for production purposes because uh he basically built uh it sounds like he built like a whole little block to to film this and control it all including multi-story buildings with working elevators and all thousands and thousands of tons of glass because almost every window in here and every wall is glass almost in this thing. Uh, I guess this must've inspired, uh, you know, the lovers on the bridge for uh, going crazy on productions, but um, either way, it's really hard to describe this movie. You haven't seen it. It's a very, very, very particular flavor. Let's just say, and it's not this, so don't get too worried yet. It's not like Wes Anderson in a sense, but there's no way that Wes Anderson has not seen some Jacques Tati in his life and probably been highly influenced by it. Not in necessarily the plotting, because this movie is nothing like Wes Anderson's plots and quirky characters at all. But as far as the meticulous sets and really, really highly structured and controlled environments that uh, Wes Anderson has, this movie has that. Uh, What is this movie? So for me, it's a cross between like the space age you know, like Mad Men level production look mixed with a nearly silent movie. Uh, there, There's lots of sound in it, right? But there's hardly any like straight ahead dialogue scenes. You're following lots and lots and lots of characters interacting in spaces. And, and there's 
almost this level of meticulous slapstick and visual storytelling and and humor mixed into like social commentary that's just almost hard to describe if you don't see it. Uh, a perfect example would be, so it starts out with um, a bunch of American tourists. They're coming into the airport. You follow them onto the bus. And as they get off the bus, they're coming into this like, there's just like this block basically where you have this huge office building, you have an expo going on, you have a brand new restaurant opening, and you're going to have set pieces in each of these locations. Um, for example, in the restaurant, this is about a two hour movie, by the way, the restaurant is a set piece that lasts probably about 45 minutes. And it is like the most crazily scripted, almost slapstick, but like if you could have subtle slapstick, that's essentially what you're getting out of this. And I don't know. I can't even describe it. I'm going to really terribly describe it. For example, you, the restaurant scene, Mr. Hulot, by the way, he does not have much in this. I guess he's a known character in all these Tati movies, but he kind of wheels his way through all these different settings. So he kind of is, you follow him along, like you follow him along through this expo where they're doing things like all these different boxes of, of displays. And you know, one of them is a guy that has made a door that won't make any sound when you slam it. So he's demonstrating how you can slam it and be angry and not make a noise. And then there's just ongoing slapstick around that. But the restaurant has just been built. It's opening. It's the first day. And half of the stuff in there doesn't work. The electricity doesn't quite work. The, the waiters don't quite know what's going on. They've got these brand new chairs. And the whole theme of this restaurant is like a crown. Like a crown is kind of their logo. So the backs of these chairs are like these metal wrought iron crowns. And right out of the gate, the first guy that stands up that's been sitting in the chair now has pressed into his suit back a crown. And then, so you have all these little things like that that just kind of interweave. You know, there's a scene where uh, a waiter rips his his uh, pants on the crown, right? So he runs outside and he finds another waiter who says, hey, change me your pants. I can't wear these pants. So the guy outside that's smoking now has these ripped pants. And throughout the whole sequence, people keep coming back to him and replacing parts of their torn up suits until the guy that's outside smoking has the most ramshackle suit in the world. <laughs> and it's just, it's just weird stuff. Like uh, a perfect example is... Um, Mr. Hilo shows up at the restaurant at some point. They have these big glass doors. Everything has glass, windows, everything. These glass doors with these big, round, brass doorknobs. The only metal on the whole door is a doorknob. And they're, he's tug-of-warring with it, and the whole door shatters. So for the whole rest of this 45-minute sequence, the doorman is standing there holding the doorknob, but holding it in the position of the door and constantly moving back and forth to give the impression that there's a door there because it's a glass door and that people aren't noticing that it's not a glass door. And there's just a whole slapstick around that. This has got like about 20 interconnecting ongoing story arcs that weave from place to place to place that you can't even hardly notice unless you're watching the details. And the people that love this say that you can watch it over and over again and just follow one of those threads. Like you can follow the little dog or you can follow the guy that's just doing repairs. Or you can follow the guys that are running up to you low all the time. And uh, it's, it's a ton of fun. It's visually super inventive. It's not quite the same, but I say if you love Mr. Bean, you might like this because it kind of has a little of that flavor where it's not silent, but it kind of feels silent. And it has very weird visual humor. I, I quite quite enjoyed it a lot. Oh, you, so you were, this really fit your aesthetic as far as the viewing of it? The yeah, and it's it? visually impeccable and the sets are freaking mind-blowing. And the the the... The co compositions are insanity. I know I said you probably saw some of the stills I posted up there. And these are all concrete 
sets, you know, and you see some of the, the compositions he has, and there's just like it's like Kubrick level control that he's he's got over the space that he's built. He's probably a freak like Kubrick too. I think he he went way into debt on this movie. I think it was originally at the time when sixty seven. I think it was cost like. 1.7 million, but he ended up blowing it up to like 17 or 18 million, this movie. So my goodness, yeah. that must have wrecked him. I, don't know <laughs> I think it did. <laughs> oh my goodness. Does this make you excited to see more of his stuff then? Because it like- does. And I heard the other stories are a little more around uh, the main character, Hulot, and like his kind of misadventures. And I guess he always kind of has this kind of humorous side to everything he does. I- I've heard that some of the other ones are actually better movies, but this one's kind of considered his like technical masterpiece. And uh, well, some of the comments I was reading, I guess they replayed this recently in 70 millimeter. He would only let it be projected in 70 millimeter when he put this out. That probably cost a lot of money too, because only certain theaters could do 70 millimeter. He would never let it be presented in anything but 70 millimeter because the way it's designed is he films everything in medium sort of shots so every shot is choreographed with possibly up to 15, 20, 30 different people, all choreographed, doing things within this frame. And to be able to see it all and the, all the detail he's got going on, you've got to see that. Perfect. There's another example. At one point in the restaurant, the uh, and I'll stop talking about this, but the heat goes out or heat goes up. The, elect- the uh, air conditioning goes down and everyone's like, oh, my God, it's so hot now. It's so hot. I'm, we're blowing up you know, here. And there's a shot where they're all at a bar and behind them, there's this airplane uh model because space age right they have these like jet airplane model just on the back counter and you don't even notice it until all of a sudden you notice it's it's drooping slowly drooping from the heat you know (laughs) just (laughs) stuff like that and it's actually happening in real time it's just there as a visual joke you don't have to even notice it because there's like 20 other things in the frame going on but that's the way this movie is it's just full of weird little visual jokes and it's funny yeah i think it's it's funny and it's 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 kind of more like an amazing magic trick almost Wow! watching it. Wow. So that is Bruce's review for what's in the box. It's playtime. That is box movie selection this week. Let's see what Bruce's selection for next week is for his yes. what's in the box. Very good. Bruce on playtime. I really want to see this movie. And that's one of those movies. You could probably watch a segment of it at a time. Like it's almost like an anthology, right? Like there's wow. a, there's a sequence in a building. There's a sequence in an expo. There's a sequence in a restaurant. So you could pick one of those sequences and watch, you know, 35, 40 minutes and, and be fine. I mean, it's what? not a, there's not a plot really, you know, <laughs> what's in the bleeping box, Bruce. Uh, the box has another classic movie. I've been meaning to watch forever. I think you'll be excited about this one. Directed by, um, Nicholas Harvard. Uh, yes. Very good. Suggested by Nicholas Harvard. Shock Corridor. Yes. Shock Corridor. Have you seen Shock Corridor? I have not. Eric Holmes? No. Have you... That's yeah, Fuller, right? Yes, that's Samuel Fuller. Shock Corridor. That is a big piece of homework for next week. So next week we will be doing Shock Corridor. I did forget before we leave, there were a couple of movies that are coming out. We covered a lot of movies this week. There's The Exorcist Believer. There's not much I'm going to say about the plot. All I know is David Gordon Green, he <laughs> is best known for his work on those Halloween movies, but he's always captured my heart thanks to, I believe it was all the real girls or George, definitely George, George Washington. Washington. George Washington. George Washington. Uh, Snow Angels. Did Snow yes. Angels. Undertow. Undertow. Yeah. 
that is a David Gordon Green I know. And so, but no, I haven't seen that Halloween movies. He's spawning down the TV he, series. Of course, he is a frequent collaborator collaborator with Danny Bleepin McBride. And are you? I am assuming that Eric Holmes. Maybe if you have time this weekend, if you're if you're not uh, working a nine to five on your on your gig, you might see The Exorcist Believer. Are you going to do that? Mm, no. <laughs> I kind of, I, I kind of wish David Gordon Green would get away from like get away. He, he did, he did the, uh, he did the the Halloweens, and the those are I, I like what he did there. Move on, dude. Move on. <laughs> he, 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 he's a much more creative uh, filmmaker than than this, and I, who knows? Maybe The Exorcist is great, but I he's, don't have any. I, I, I have no. Well, desire he's still to got these his alien trilogy to do right after alien two takes place and he's still got his uh (laughs) yes psycho he's got a psycho trilogy to do still i know that's coming i I mean it it just it it feels like he's spinning his wheels with this and i I haven't seen the movie maybe it's great but like they're uh, yeah my my uh you want more George Washington from him, right? You want more. I, I want to do more uh, Snow Angels or more. Uh, oh fuck! What's that? What's that uh, comedy you did that everyone hates but I love? Um, oh, uh, our uh, brand is Crisis. What? No, it's uh, it's a uh, my fucking brain. Uh, oh. Danny McBride, and it's like uh, like a Lord of the Rings sort of thing. How high? Oh, no, no, not how no, no. Your Highness. Your Highness. Oh, Your, your Highness. highness. Yeah. Yes. I knew it was something with high in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I really like that one as much as everyone hates it. They can kick rocks for all I care. That one's <laughs> hilarious. Um, but uh, yeah, The Exorcist, just no no interest whatsoever. Okay. So, and then that's, so The Exorcist Believer, none of us will watch it. Let us know if you guys see it this weekend. Tell us what you think over to I might Mike's. watch it. Oh, Bruce might watch it. He'll tell us what he thinks. I'll take you... my, this is like a perfect take my kid to it and we'll both like hate watch it because it's, oh. it's stupid. And you can hate watch it and you can actually uh, look if someone actually tell us, ask you, Bruce, why did you spend your hard earned money with your kid to see this, The Exorcist Believer? Just say, hey, Ellen Burstyn from The Exorcist was in it. So I, I had to see, I had to throw down. For that for that uh, anniversary with Ellen Burstyn, yes, Eric. You know what movie is good? Uh, Tokyo Cowboy. It's uh, playing the festival circuit. Okay, I maybe I, I maybe jump the gun a bit, but jumping, uh, jumping a little, yeah. But no, not really, because it's going to be at the Tallgrass Film Festival on October seventh. So, what do you want to tell us about it? Uh, Octo- uh, Tallgrass Film Festival October seventh, Heartland International Film Festival the ninth and eleventh, Montana Film Festival on the thirteenth, fifteenth, Hawaii. International Film Festival on 13th and 16th, Newport Beach Film Festival, October 19th, and Ojai Film Festival, November 6th. Oh, hi. Uh, it's oh, hi. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Yes. Sorry. No, don't worry. It's Ojai. Um, it, it's basically about this guy. Uh, he's a Tokyo businessman. They own a Wagyu company, and he goes to Montana to try to get them to upgrade their farm to uh, raise Wagyu cows. They're like, we can't afford that. Uh, what you need to know is uh, Rata Iura, uh, probably best known for a movie that we saw called uh, Air Doll, uh, okay. 2009's Air oh, Doll. Right, uh, right. He, he was in that. And cinematography, the, the movie looks gorgeous. It's The cinematography is by Oscar Jimenez, uh, who did Killing of Two Lovers and Integrity of Joseph Chambers. So oh, if you are... Oh. Near any of those places where it's just doing the film festival circuit right now. If you're in the area, it's a very charming movie. Go check it out. 
And that, that, so, uh, we'll, we'll probably review it maybe down the, do a full review later on down the road when it actually has a release date. But, uh, yeah, if you can check it out at a film festival, go for it. Cause it's, oh really my God. And it stars one of my favorite actors, Robin Weigert from Deadwood. She's yeah. in it. So she, I'm sure she plays a prominent role. Eric, she's good in it. That is, uh, I, I think she's the one that, uh, she's the main character. The, she had- uh, or, or she's the one that runs the ranch. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. yeah, she's good. Okay, all right. Here, I was gonna just cast you away and just run over Tokyo Cowboy, <laughs> and you made it a great. Okay, I'm excited for that. Also, finally, the Royal Hotel also opens October sixth. Julia Garner from Ozark. Bruce, tell me how much you love Julia Garner from Ozark. Did you see Ozark? Have you seen that? Ozark, The Assistant. Uh, yes. Lots of different things. Yeah. She's so good. And then also Jessica Henwick, they, they play, I guess, Americans and they go backpacking in Australia. They get a job working behind the bar of a pub called the Royal Hotel. Yes. It and was. there's a documentary about that very same sort of subject. I can't remember what it's called, but I'll try to look it up by next week. Um, Please I do. I feel like Joseph Bridges or somebody recommended that to us. And I remember watching it and it's about how people that are backpacking and going through Australia, especially women will get sucked into these weird um, bars and basically be like, it's almost like a Hooters kind of situation, but like in super hardcore outback locales. Oh my gosh. My goodness. So yeah, that is a premise of the Royal hotel. Hopefully once Bruce actually has the title, once we hunt down that documentary, we'll mention it next week on cinematics, but again, the Royal hotel in select theaters, this Friday, my bad for not getting us links. I emailed the, the PR people. They're going to see if they get can get all three of us some links for the Royal Hotel. I'm sure if we have enough time, we will review the Royal Hotel next week because one of my favorite outbacky kind of movies is this movie called Wake and Fright. Still is, I just sweat thinking about that movie. That is an intense, you, didn't you love Wake and Fright, Eric Holmes? Did you see that? And you love that, Bruce. No. I know. What? Yeah. Oh. I need to oh, Eric needs Wake to and watch Wake and Fright like oh, yesterday. Oh my God. Look, okay. Wake and Fright, if there's, a, if there's an Eric. Is that, movie, is, that the, is that the one where they kill all the kangaroos? Yes. Uh, I, I know. You, oh, 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 wait. Uh, obviously, is that why you're not watching? Of course, that's why. No, you're not, no, no I'll, I'll watch it. I actually uh, thought uh, Bruce had it in the, the box. Awake and Fright? Uh, probably. I did. Too- I did watch it for sure. I mean, I think I watched it after Anderson talked about it originally, way back when. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was there sure sure with Anderson talking about Awake and Fright. Did you oh, yeah, that? that's right. You guys both talked about it. <laughs> See I forgot forget- there was another person there. See how forgettable <laughs> See how forgettable I am, Cinematics listeners. I'm glad you guys are here to check out Bruce and Eric's reviews. They do a lot of the heavy lifting every single week on Cinematics. That's why we end the show usually with them and my niece. Eric, you have final thoughts uh, before we go. Uh, yeah, next uh, next week we had Divinity, Dear David, and Mr. Organ. I've seen one of those, and it's a mind F. And check out the <laughs> interview with uh, Jonathan Quartas. It's really good. And if anyone would like to do a play-along for the Film Vault board game that I made, hit me up because we'll be doing playthroughs in the future. You can hit Eric up on hamslime at gmail.com. You can email exactly ham and then slime at gmail.com if you want to hear learn more about the the play along with the film vault game as well as just if you want to hit him up and talk to him hit up bruce perky bruce perky at gmail.com for further movie recommendations you want to put in the what's in the box segment maybe you put in mr hulo's holiday who knows maybe that that'll be really interesting but again next week we have like eric said dear david mr organ 
And then uh, we'll see about Shock Corridor. I'm so excited for this movie. Eric and Bruce, you might have to pony up a couple of bucks to go see Shock Corridor. But hopefully you'll like that Samuel Fuller film. We're all Samuel Fuller enthusiasts. Bruce, final words, I guess, before we get to uh, Claire. Yeah, before I get to Claire, uh, I just wanted to say uh, if you have a suggestion for the Patreon and you're a Patreon member, uh, 2013 is the year, if I remember correctly. And uh, I just want to apologize to Greg. I mean, on this show, I've been kind of in dicta. Okay. That's very funny, Bruce. Stop, the, stop with the torturing. Here's Claire. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for joining Cinematic.